Great, thank you. Shabbat shalom, everyone. I'm glad all of you guys are here today. And those online, thanks for joining and being part of our community here. Livingmessiah.com is our website, as you know, and we want to thank all of those who, who donate and give. Uh, it is so appreciative here uh, for all of us. Thank you. Um, before we get started, let me uh, open in prayer. Um, and there's a... Um, I am. Well, let's just open in prayer. Father, Yahweh, great and mighty you are. There is none like you, Father. Father, we thank you that we have a place that we can come together and study your words and the words of your Son, Father, and be empowered by your Spirit to walk them out and be challenged in our lives in many, many places. Father, we thank you for the redemption and, um, that we find in your Son and all that he's done. And Father, we want to lift up those part of, in our community that are not feeling well that we know are not going to be able to make it today. And Father, we just ask you be with them and bring them to a speedy recovery. Father, we lift up our brother Marcelino and Father, just guide him and give him strength of where he's at, knowing that you are sovereign and you do not change. And Father, you have a wonderful love that you've shown to each and every one of us. We thank you. Amen. All right, guys, so, uh, oh, again, for those online, a thumbs up would be, it's always awesome. Uh, we want to th uh, uh, th uh, thank you guys again for those who are out there watching in, especially I know there's a lot of you guys, like I said, aren't feeling well, but we know you're watching. Hello, family. Um, as you know, this is uh, an open mic, meaning, you know, comments and questions, uh, they're welcome. Just raise your hand. The mic will find its way to you. All, all we ask here is please stay on the context of what we're talking about. Let's not get uh, too far ahead of the text so we all can learn together because uh, that's the key thing. We're all learning together, and like I've shared uh, plenty of times with you, uh, this is the book of Acts, our in-depth study, and basically I'm just sharing you, what, what, is it not coming through? Oh, that's right. Uh, I'm just sharing um, my Bible study with you, so I'm learning as you are learning. Um, and then, uh, two, when you have the mic, make sure you put it close to your mouth so all can hear, and that pleases Ward back there, our sound guy, who... Oh, he's always jumping through hoops and leaps and bounds, getting everything going. Thank you, Ward, for all that. Okay, so that brings us, as you know, we're in chapter 11, and I want to uh, begin here with this, uh, this verse uh, in um, Amos 8.11. It says, see, days are coming, declares the master, Yahuwah, that I shall send hunger in the land, and not a hunger for bread, nor the thirst for water, but the hearing, the hearing and doing the words of Yahuwah. So... Why I opened with this, I opened with this because I believe it fits one of those patterns that we see in the Hebrew Scriptures, and, and we're going to be seeing that here in Acts as well. That is tribulation in the form of persecution. We've seen that already in Acts where we're at. Um, and that began right after the death of Stephen, as you guys know, that persecution within, um, within Judaism. It didn't come from outside. It was within from Judaism, for lack of better words. Okay, but we spoke of that last week, and we'll continue this week with even more tribulation coming, okay, in a very short period of time, so to speak. So this week, it will be famine, 
hopefully, if, depending on how far we get. But it will be famine, prison, and Passover. What a combination, huh? <laughs> you know? Um, so, but keep in mind, the center of all this is Jerusalem and the word of Yah going out, that good news going out for his children and, and whomever shall listen and repent. So if you keep, uh, keep that in mind or keep in mind the past events of the children of Israel exiting Egypt to where we here are in Acts because I shared plenty of times there's patterns and patterns and patterns that are just, they're, they're awesome and they, I know they help me understand the text much better. Um, so we'll continue to read and ponder on those, uh, those words of promise that were from Mount Sinai. Yeah, there was promises. <laughs> the promise of blessing and the promises of cursings that come from the Father. So this is always in play. So where we're at in Acts, we're in Antioch. Where this, uh, for, uh, for the Jewish communities that are here or there in Acts, they're hearing this good news and many are being added to the faith of Messiah. Uh, again, the center of Elohim's words going out is still in the background, and that is Jerusalem, okay? So let's continue, Acts 11. Then uh, Barnabas went to Tarsus to seek Shaul, or Paul. And having found him, he brought him to Antioch, and it came to be that for an entire year they came together in the assembly and taught large numbers. And the taught ones were called uh, Messianics or Christians, maybe in your Bible, uh, first in Antioch is, Antioch is what it says. So Barnabas, uh, uh, quick background, he uh, he's originally came from, um, from uh, Jewish colonies in Cyprus. That's where he came from. So, but the key thing to think about here is something I want to point out. They both, that meaning Barnabas and Shaul, are teaching. Okay, so, and we spoke about this last week. What do you think they're teaching? Keep in mind, New Testament hasn't been written yet. So where are they teaching from? And where are they bringing forth uh, things for a righteous life? Obviously, the, the Old Testament or the Tanakh or the Hebrew Scriptures, okay? So, would you think that they're revealing Messiah? I would say yes, they're revealing Messiah from those very Hebrew scriptures. That's what they're teaching about this Messiah. Um, and I would imagine if you look, at, if you're familiar with Paul's writings uh, and his thoughts of Messiah, most of the New Testament is Shaul or the Apostle Paul. Uh, writings and his teachings, his style, his teachings, <clears throat> teachings. Um, I don't think they would change much, except for now that we did touch upon uh, th through these last couple of weeks that it's centered around the Torah, the teachings, and not so much the traditions of men. Okay, that was the big thing when Paul's lost his sight in seeing. Okay, it's not just traditions of men that we should be following. We should be following the Torah. And so we talked about that a lot as well. So, but Paul would be speaking about the Messiah in the light of the Torah. 
okay? And again, not the traditions of men. And real briefly, I know maybe some of your translations will say, uh, <clears throat> then the taught ones were called Christians, okay? Real quick on that one. They, they were all Jews to this point, whether they were, you know, Jews living in um, or were speaking, uh, speaking uh, Greek or that culture around them. They were still all Jews. So, so what we have is, first, you see in Jerusalem, they were called the way, the sect. So in Antioch, where it's prevalent, there's more Greek they're calling them Christian. They're one and the same label, okay? Uh, a Christian, uh, Christos, it, it based anointed. Messiah in Hebrew, back to Mashiach, it's still this idea of the anointed. And you'll see maybe later on, I've read in your translation, it'll say Jesus the Christ. And they're referring more to the anointed. Yes, Barry. Um, Kathy, if you hand that behind you is it flipped up sorry okay. <laughs> make sure I like, you get it close to your voice or your mouth i like i like my translation says mashikim mashikim which is mashikim. and we would say mm, mm, I guess messianic. I'm I'm really shortening it for so we could just understanding it in our um, our culture and and our times, you know. But ultimately, they mean one and the same thing. But what I like, I said in Jerusalem, they were called the way. They were all Jews at this point. Or if any of them that were coming in, they, as we saw so far, they had an understanding and they were following the God of Israel with Cornelius. So it isn't one of these things to be like, oh, all of a sudden there was a, a split in ideas here. There is no split in ideas where you have the, uh, the sect or the way, and all of a sudden now you have Christians popping up, which in our coming from where we're coming okay christian and messianic as you guys know can be severely different okay because of the where we stand because of things that got in there but if you go right back it means one and the same thing a christian is one who follows the messiah a messianic is one who follows the messiah and those various things if i can simplify it in in that sense okay so there was no all of a sudden new church born out of here christianity that was different from those in jerusalem because the one and same thing just like we read barnabas and paul peter and everyone else they taught from the Torah. It was all that was the basics that they lived by continually that we'll see all through uh, the New Testament. So to me, that's the bigger point to make sure you understand. So whatever label you might, might want to put there, the Torah, the instructions by the hand of Elohim, Moses on the mountain is what they went by, okay? If there's any other comments or questions on that, we'll continue on. Good to see you, Brother Paul. And thanks for all our, our, new, our, our new visitors. I'm glad you're here with us today. It's, a, it's wonderful to have you guys here. Make sure you guys look around and see, oh, I, I haven't seen you before, and say hello, okay? 
So Acts 11 will continue. And in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, okay? And one of them named uh, Haggabah, okay, stood up and um, indicated by the Spirit that there was going to be a great scarcity of food over all the world or the land, which also took place under uh, Claudius Caesar, so the taught ones, each according to his ability, decide to send relief to the brothers dwelling in Yehuda, back in the land, the Holy Land. Uh, this they did also and sent, <clears throat> excuse me, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Shaul, or the Apostle Paul. So like I said, I, I said there was going to be tribulation and famine, so there's tribulation on top of tribulation happening here. So here's an interesting thing, and I, in my studies, I thought I am going to share it because I think it's awesome. Well, you know, famine isn't awesome, but you know what I'm saying. Looking at the text and understanding, understanding uh, people's names, as you know, in the Old Testament, when you look at. Uh, I, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah, his name is the salvation of Yahuwah. So Isaiah speaks a lot about that salvation coming, right? So the, the prophet's name and people's names speak and can give you some other interesting backgrounds to what's going on. So we have this prophet, Agabus is the Greek, all right? But the Hebrew is, oh, I, I always struggle with the Hebrew Kava, okay? Yeah. But you know, does, does anyone know what his, beside Paul, <laughs> does anyone know what his name means? It means grasshopper. Yeah, or locust. Isn't that interesting? Because we're just, it, just think about it. This prophet stands up and he's going to declare whose name is a locust, that there's going to be scarcity of food or a famine. Oh, now that's pretty interesting. At least I find it very interesting. So this, and it's it's interesting. The this it's the name of one person in all the Hebrew text, not the New Testament, the the Hebrew text, and it's one who came out of Babylon uh, with the Babylonian captivity. You'll find it once this gentleman's name, but the noun is referring to, like I said, grasshopper or locust, and it's about five times uh, that it shows up. At in that particular form, as a noun, meaning grasshopper or locust. Um, but one of the verses I thought is interesting, and, and it's in Second Chronicles 7. So I, I, I went on in my Bible study, and I looked at this is, this is kind of interesting. What's going on with this guy? Is there other connections, other patterns that we can see in the Hebrew text and, and look at that. And to me, I found, I believe I found these very, you find these patterns, and you can be the judge of it. So this prophet, he's coming from Jerusalem, and we're, remember, where's Jerusalem? That's where the word goes out. That's where the Torah goes out. That's the Father's house, so to speak, right? That's the land of Israel, the, the Father's house. Okay, so... If you take back what we're, what, remember, we have persecution going on now. The scarcity of food has come by the mouth of this prophet whose name means locust. 
Now, the other thing is, he is one of those prophets from Jerusalem. He may or may, may not be a follower of the way or follower of the, uh, this new sect, but at the same time, you must weigh the apostles must looked at his words and what he said with some weight because they reacted to, hey, let's gather and help our brothers, uh, you know, we're in Antioch, so let's send some help to our brothers in the land. So, you know, so I, they, they looked at whatever this prophet was saying, or one of the prophets, because it seemed like there was more than one who was saying the same thing, were just pointed out this particular one, you know. So in that, I think that's interesting in itself. So I think there's uh, something of value because of the way they reacted. So I want to read this portion of Second Chronicles. And along with it, as you guys already know, my understanding, Yah doesn't change, right? He doesn't change the... Uh, so if he doesn't change, the prophecies tend to repeat themselves. You've seen that in Scripture, where one, one prophecy goes out and you see that, oh, that kind of happened again in another form or another way. So... So, and usually if he makes promises about certain things, it, it does repeat, you know, these prophecies and these warnings. And usually it is about how the people react to his words. So if we take all that in consideration at this now in the, the time in Acts, as the words going out, the things that have been happening in Jerusalem, we got tribulation from within, we got a famine coming, and this is all surrounding Jerusalem, which ultimately the center of Jerusalem is the Father's house. So, with that in mind, that's where I, I I'm, where this section of Second Chronicles, uh, uh, yeah, Second Chronicles in uh, chapter seven. So, before we read it, just a little bit on this section of scripture. This is right after Solomon finishes the temple and offers sacrifices and prayers to Yahuwah. That, uh, and again, the temple is Elohim's house, where his word goes out for all his children. Okay? So that gives you a little bit of context of, of this. So thus Solomon finished the house of Yahuwah and the, and the sovereign's house, his own house as well. And all of them came into the... And all that came into the heart of Solomon... To do in the house of Yahweh and to his house, he um, prosperously executed. And Yahweh uh, appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of slaughtering or things that you bring forth. Okay? Whatever they may be. Peace offerings and whatever. If I shut up the heavens and there is no rain, and if I command the locust, this is that one place where that one of the five, that if I command the locust to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people, and, and my people upon whom my name is called, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I shall hear from the heavens and forgive their sins and heal their land. I'm sure you're very familiar with this. Now, 
My eyes are open and my ears attentive to the prayer of this place. So what I'm trying to, what I, for me, what was going on is interesting that this locus is here. And this promise about his house and about what Solomon and the people are to do. Famine isn't going to come upon you if you're walking out what I've commanded, right? And let me go ahead and read the rest of it. It'll help the context, and, and then we'll go from there. So Second Chronicles uh, uh, 7, 16, it continues this way. And now I have chosen and set this house apart for my name to be there forever. And my eyes and my heart shall always be there. And you, if you walk before me as your father David walked and do, do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you guard my laws and my right rulings, which is from Mount Sinai, then I shall establish my throne of your reign as I, um, as I coveted with David, your father, saying, there is not a man to cease on, to rule over Israel, but if you turn away and forsake my laws, my commands, which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other mighty ones, other gods, and theologies and doctrines, and all kinds of stuff comes with that, and bow yourself to them, then I shall pluck them from my land, which I have given them. And this house, which I have set apart for my name, I shall cast out of my sight and make it to be a proverb and a mockery among the peoples. And this house which has been exalted, everyone who passes by it shall be astonished and say, why has Yahuwah done this, done thus to the land and his house? And it goes on. And then, they, and then they'll say, because they forsook Yahuwah, their God, their Elohim, of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other mighty ones and bowed themselves to them to serve them before. Therefore, this, has, uh, this has, evil has come upon all of them. So I know we're in the book of Acts, but think about what has happened in Acts. His word has gone out from Jerusalem. Okay, the Pentecost, even from Messiah. Has a lack of obedience to his words now is that what's bringing upon Jerusalem the things that are happening? There's persecution and there's famine now coming upon the land. If we would take that exactly back to the things that the Father had said, that's truly what is, is going on. And now, that's not everybody, but that is what's going on. And we saw that in Amos. There is like a lack of hearing. Not many really heard the Messiah. Not many are, I mean, not as far as nationwide are they hearing the apostles and what they're saying. So to me, this is a pattern that's happening in Acts. But there are some who do have bread, right? Food. 
and keeping the words of the Father. To me, this starts to set the stage for more tribulation and bondage and prison and ultimately the Passover story that we are going to see that's going to unfold here. Um, so I hope that's not a, a, too far off the, the trail of what's going on in Acts, but those same principles are at work here. Because there's not a whole lot are obeying those very words in Jerusalem where it's coming out. They're in Antioch now. Now a famine's coming upon. Barry. I feel impressed upon myself to... to mention verse 14 that we should repeat that uh, that and my people upon whom my name is called shall humble themselves but my name and we've gone through the books and we've put lord here and lord there and yes and when it says put my name and it, it says instead of putting his, his name it puts lord and it's, it's as though it's all been written to stop us from putting his name upon his people. Oh, no. I see that there's many ways this plays out, and I agree. But it's interesting. We hear there's this promise that there will be a famine, but if those who will call out to me and change their ways and repent, and the whole the beginning of the New Testament the, you know, is all John when he showed up, repent, repent. That's that ongoing thing. And look, we have famine in the land, but we are had, we do have at the same time some that are taking forth those words that are being obedient, that are not going to starve. In a sense, the the apostles, those that were in Antioch, were able to send. Obviously, they had extra to send to their brothers that were in Judah uh, or back in the land, so to speak. So, again, to me, I, these patterns are, are always constantly playing out here. So if there's nothing more, we'll continue now into Acts 12. And about that time, Herod or Herodes, the sovereign put forth to his hands to do evil to some of the assembly, this particular assembly, only the assembly, the sect called the way, okay? Not to the bigger assembly of Jews, but this particular assembly. And he killed Jacob, the brother of John, with the sword. And seeing that it was pleasing to the Udim or the, the Jews, he proceeded further to arrest Peter as well. And they, and they were the days of unleavened bread. So when he seized him, he put him in prison and delivered, uh, excuse me, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to watch over him, tending to bring him before the people after Passover. So Peter was uh, indeed kept in prison. But 
prayer was earnestly made to Elohim on his behalf by the assembly. So, okay. You see some patterns? Got to see some patterns here. Persecution, and this pattern is repeating. Go ahead, yeah, if you see a pattern. Well, what we just read. Okay, let me continue to and jog your present some of this that I think is interesting. First, this King Herod, where's the first time where's the first time you've heard of Herod? Remember the birth of Messiah, right? King Herod, Herod the Great, the one who built, you know, he was a great builder, did all these stuff, right? Well, he died, and this was at the time of the birth of Messiah, so there's not another Herod that pops up who, or, or let me put it this way, for 40 years, there was not a, a king until Herod Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great. So you had this 40-year in between there. And Messiah is in that 40 years. Yes, there was governors like Pontius Pilate and such and such, but there was no one labeled king of Judah because that was from coming up on high from uh, Caesar from Rome, right? So there's this 40 years. There was... Was there not a king named in that 40 years, a king over Judah? What did Pilate say, remember? What was written on Messiah's thing? Behold, the king of the Jews. So to me, I'm like, wow, I am fascinated with that because I never saw it in that sense before. So there was a king declared over Judah in a time period where Rome didn't have someone labeled as a king over Judah, and it happened to be the Messiah. So I think that is very interesting in myself. And I could go on in um, uh, some of the historical things about Herod himself, Herod the Great and his grandchild, his grandson at this point. Herod wasn't Jewish. The Jews at the time, at this point, and maybe a little bit with King Herod the Great, but uh, Herod Agrippa, the one right now here that we're talking about, the general Jewish population liked him because he did the feast. Uh, and they overlooked, in some ways, he was Jewish. No, he was Semitic, but he was not Jew. Uh, Jew. But they overlooked that because he did the feast and stuff. But do you know what his lineage is? And this, to me, again, this gets a lot deeper, and we won't go any further on this point. But I, Herod the Great, his mother, wait, what was his mother? Uh, his father was an Edomite. So that means he's from Esau. His mother was an Ishmaelite from Esau. And why that's so important, because this big family struggle has been going on, and it's right here now in the text as well, in the background. 
So there's much about Esau and Jacob playing out even right now in the background. So I won't go on that much. I just thought that was fascinating and I wanted to share. So getting back to Acts, where we're at and looking at these patterns, it clearly states right here, it's springtime. Jacob, the, the, the brother of John, he's been killed. And, and it says the Jews, and not all the Jews were excited about this, but I would say it was that one little section, the same religious authorities. Wow, it pleased Oh, look what he did. He got rid of some of this sect and this new, new understanding from this Messiah, right? Not all, not all the population of Judah went along with this, but there was this small section that was like, wow. So that being, okay, let's say you're king, you're a politician. You see something that pleases the people? Right? Wow. Let's go after the leader of this sect then, because then I can really be popular in my seat, in my throne that has been given to me. So they go, ultimately, what does he do? He goes after Jacob, or excuse me, he goes after Peter now, because Peter, he's got to, by this point, be real well known as being one of the major leaders of this new sect from Jerusalem, right? So, like I said, it's springtime. This is going to be Passover, before Passover, and after Passover. So, will there be a pattern that will emerge in that? And that's why I mentioned before, think about way back as them coming out of Egypt. All the things that happened there in the order. Passover, one of the major things... Passover is a night to be uh, to observe, right? We all know that. But in the deeper sense of that, it's a night to be watching, to be on guard and to be watching. So I would say, in some sense, this Passover story that we're so familiar with, or should be, and be telling our children year after year, it was just, look how much deeper. And why? Because we're going to see that right here happen. So the followers of Messiah are under this persecution. A plague is coming, a lack of bread, food, and the promised land. Again, Jerusalem, where his word goes out. But at the same time, there is this good news, this good bread from heaven that is spreading at the same time in amongst a famine. Peter's put in prison. Now let's start thinking about the Passover story. Peter is put in prison. He's in bondage. He's going to be set free, or, well, he's going to be set free, as we will read, by a messenger. And he's going to be led out at night to freedom. Sound familiar? And we'll pick up some key words here. Your loins girded, be ready to go. 
because Elohim's judgment is coming. Elohim's going to be judging. Isn't that what it said? Have your staff in your hand, your loins girded, get ready to go. It's a night of watching. Be prepared. Have the blood on the doorposts so you can be passed over this night. Because Elohim's name is going to be known to those who follow him. Judgment is coming. Now, I want to say something here too. Eventually, there is going to be a bigger judgment that's going to happen in the story because Jerusalem is going to fall. The temple is going to eventually fall, okay, and be thrown down. But that's just not quite yet. But in Peter himself, we see this picture of the Passover story happening. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night, it was a night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards, and the guards before the door were keeping, uh, keeping the prison. And see, a messenger came, stood by, and a light shone in the building, and I think that's a poor word there, smiting him, tapped him on the shoulder. It doesn't mean that type of smiting. Touched and said to Peter, he touched the side of Peter and said, rise up, saying, get up quickly. This is Passover story, stuff. And his chains fell, chains fell off his hands. And the messenger said to him, what? Gird yourself and bind on your sandals. That is Passover imagery. That is Passover language, right? And it is Passover because that's where Peter's in prison at the time. And he did so. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. Man, there's so many things here. Put on your garment and fall. Messiah said that many times in many ways. And coming out, he followed him and knew not what was done by the messenger was true, but thought he was seeing another vision. You can imagine, Peter saw this one at one time. Hey, where is that? What's going on? So is this the end of the seven days of unleavened bread? I don't know. It's hard to guess here. Or is it right after Passover itself? I, I didn't dig that deep and try to figure that out. I'm just looking, this is Passover time that we're at. And he was said that later he'd be called for after Passover, whether that was. And the strange thing, Passover and unleavened bread, they can be used interchangeably and not necessarily mean one or the other sometimes. So that can get kind of confusing maybe sometimes too. But look at that, gird yourself, put your sandals on your feet. You've heard that before, right? It's a night of watching. Remember Yahshua? Was a, he was upset at one point with his apostles. Well, Peter a couple more times. But there was one time he was upset with them, and it was around the Passover time. He was in the garden, right? He went to the garden pray, come with me as, and pray with me. So he went and prayed. He came back. What were they doing? Sleeping. It was Passover. They wasn't on guard. There to be a night of watching in some sense. So he's kind of upset with them. So you see that play out as well, I think. 
So anyhow, as we read it, you'll read in Exodus 12, 11, um, and this is how you are to eat it, meaning the Passover. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it casually. No, eat it in haste and get ready to go, right? Because it is the Passover of Yahuwah. Another thing to point out, we got darkness happening here, darkness to light. And the light comes from instructions or words from this messenger. To me, it's another pattern. So, would you say, is Peter passed over from death to life again here in this story? Surely. Because I think the plans for Peter were the same plans that, were, that happened to Jacob or James, maybe, in your scripture. To be put to death. That was going to be what was going, I believe, was going to happen. And I think it was all political gain at that point for him. Because you can imagine what, again, I won't speak about that, but it's like, to me, thinking about some of the politicalness of the arena going on with the power structures that are happening, and this story is playing out in between it. It makes sense to me. Now, I do want to recall this again. It wasn't all the population that was looking forward to, you know, or look forward to this death of um, James or looking forward that uh, Peter would be destroyed as well. Um, and I've shown that time and time again. That wasn't the, com uh, the case or the complete story. So is there anything else? I don't, I think about the Passover story. Okay, let's include the Passover story and Messiah because they're kind of one in the same story, right? They overlap each other. Okay. Here's something else that came to me and I thought was interesting too. Peter, he's in prison, in darkness, right? He's chained between... Two soldiers, right? He's in between them, and he gets to go. For Do you recall anybody else having someone on his right and someone on his left? Messiah. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. Anything else you see in this story with Peter going out? And I'm sure there's many, many things. And I guess my point in this, or at least what I'm getting from this, like, man, his story, who he is, what he's trying to convey to his creation, all of us, it's, it's the same. It's the same story over and over. Return, repent, come back to me. Repent, come back to me. If you do the things I tell you, you'll see more and more why I'm telling you to repent and come back to me in these stories. And I, I think it's, to me it was a beautiful story how it <clears throat> shadowed Egypt. It shadowed Messiah Peter at the same time frame in this 
same feast, this appointed time. And when they passed the first and the second guard posts, and they came to the iron gate that led to the city, which opened to them by itself, and they went out and went down one, uh, one street, and the messenger instantly withdrew from him. The messenger showed him the right street, the right path to take to get out, right? A narrow path, a single path to get out to where he went. And Peter had come to himself and said, Wow, now I truly know that Yahweh has sent a messenger and delivered me from the hand of Herod and, and from all the Udim or all those particular group of Jews that, that wanted me. People, though they were anticipating that I'd be caught, just caught, anticipating that I would die, but I did not die because the messenger of Yahweh. And look at what other else is playing here. And having re uh, released this, he went to the house of Miriam and the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many had gathered to do what? To pray. Yes, to pray. Yes, assemble. And again, prayer is very important, especially when the community comes together. That was one of the key things. So um, if there's nothing else from you, I, I hope that was enlightening. I hope that sparks things. I hope it encouraged you so we know the, these things that we're reading, how important they are in these stories, and how they're so related back to the very things that were given at Mount Sinai for us to follow. So if there's nothing else, I'll close in prayer, and we'll come back here, and we'll, we'll continue to see Peter's journey. And, how, and maybe it's kind of comical, too. Uh, uh, next week. Father, Yahweh, great and mighty you are. There is none like you. Father, we thank you for your continue, your faithfulness to your words in so many ways and these patterns and these things to encourage us and strengthen us in our faith to be empowered by your spirit to overcome all things. Father, because only with you can that happen. We thank you again for the love and mercy we find in your son, Yahshua, our Messiah, our King. Amen. Shabbat Shalom, the, uh, you guys here and those online. Thanks for uh, coming out.